Hey guys, this is our weekly podcast by Cornerstone Church of Ione. We're so glad that you decided to join. We are a church family passionate about seeing people worship Jesus, grow in their faith, and serve those around them. If you would like to learn more about Cornerstone, please visit us at cornerstoneione.org, or you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. All right. Well, we, we are going to take communion right here before the sermon. And so if you have one of these, uh, they, some of you guys are like, why are we still using this? Uh, there is a slight mishap, and so we're going to be using these today. But I think uh, there's enough grace that even these will work in remembrance. So raise your hand if you need them, though. And as he's passing those out, I did want to just say a couple things before we take communion. Uh, Communion is specifically intended for those who have placed their faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins. And um, even then for those followers of Jesus that if um, we're withholding forgiveness or if we are uh, not in right standing with our brothers and sisters, we're supposed to go take care of that stuff. And so if you are new or visiting, you're like, I'm not really sure about who this Jesus is. The right thing to do, and it's, and it's, and it's, uh, it's, it's the right thing to do, and I encourage you to do it. Just let that pass by, and uh, just then uh, ask more questions. Let's learn together, and when we get to the place where um, you do remember the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for the payment of your sins, that it means something. Here, and that this is important for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ. So, uh, a passage we read often for this is in Luke uh, chapter 22, verses 19 through 20. And what I'd like to do is uh, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read the passage, and then we'll take the bread together. So, um, go ahead and get that top cover off of the uh, communion there. Uh, Let's pray. Father, as we once again come together, commune together, gather together to remember what you've done and the effect it had on the world, what we would see and remember and feel and know is that uh, you are the Savior of the world and the redemption plan called for justice sacrifice and penalty for sin and rather than us paying for it for eternity uh, you came fully man fully God and because you were sinless and God you can absorb the sins of many and expiate sin and uh, absorb the wrath that is deserved for this and that it can be justly taken care of in our place not because we deserve it or because we've earned it, but because of your great love. And so we remember uh, you laying your life down on the cross for your people with bread representing body and juice representing blood. So we thank you for that and we praise you for that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, we see this, this happen right in front of us it says and he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me and so we do this in remembrance of the body of Christ on the cross for us goes on to say in the same way after the supper he took the cup saying this is the cup 
is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you and and we remember Jesus in his fully manness and fully godness bled for us on the cross in our place and so we take this cup together until he returns for us or we see him in heaven so we take this together let's pray Father, we take moments within communion to praise you and thank you. And we also take moments to humbly remember our fallenness and in our desperate need of you. God, I pray that conviction will be real for us and it will carry us through weeks and weeks and weeks as we remember what the Savior of the world has done for us and yet we didn't deserve it as your word calls us to do things unto others that are not deserved but we step into those things in the light of what you've done for us and the obedience that you are king and we are not father we love you and in jesus christ's name amen all right well your bibles open them we are going to be in uh two areas we're going to be uh Starting out, refreshing ourselves in Acts chapter 2. Then we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 1. And then we're going to go back to Acts chapter 2. In fact, the second part of Acts chapter 2, you're going to get to the point. You're going to be like, are we even going to get to our passage? You're going to be possibly even worried if we're going to get out on time. And while I can't promise either of those because of last service, we're going to do our best to work through this. Um, to be completely honest with you, on Thursday 5.30, I was very comfortable with where the sermon was at. Um, and I thought it was fine where it was at. But you ever paint something and you're like, ooh, I kind of like, I kind of like missed that part. I got to touch that up. So you get the paint out over there and you're touching that up and then you bump something else. You're like, ooh. And you go over there and you get that. And pretty soon it's just like a globby mess. The only one that can redeem this sermon is Jesus, okay? It's a globby mess. I kept going back. I got to be even 4.30 this morning just like, or I started working out at 4.30 this morning, trying to like clean it up. And because I'm, we're taking these big concepts that have these deep roots and they're all these pregnant words. And I'm trying to make it uh, very simple and also not accidentally shift our focus on ourselves in the midst of it. And so um, my hope is that at the end of this, we will answer a question uh, that has came up through um, the last 15 years of ministry, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. When John says, believe and be baptized and you'll be saved, then we go to James and it says, you believe? Well, that's cool. So do the demons. Well, what do we do there? And then how's faith play its way in there? And how come people are using a belief but no faith, but then they're sealed by the Spirit, so obviously they're saved? What role does repentance play in all this? We're going to try to talk through those things. And as we do, I'm going to very briefly uh, summarize where we're at. Jesus has died on the cross. He's came and he has fulfilled what he wanted to fulfill in his earthly ministry through teaching miracles and the payment for sin on the cross. He has died. He was in the tomb for three days as was prophesied, as he also predicted. And then he rose to life, came back to life, beat death and sin altogether. And then walked around and showed himself to hundreds of people. In fact, secular historians agree that this Jesus guy purportedly went and then had conversations and 
meals and taught after he had risen from the grave. And then he gathers his disciples and he's going to ascend into heaven. He says, I must go to heaven to do my work there. And I'm going to send the spirit to do his work here. And so it's better that I go that you receive this gift. And while it appears the disciples are split in in that uh, they are ready to go and do the great commission, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ across the globe. But at the same time, they can't take their eyes off of the sky because they're hoping just maybe they'll see a glimpse of Jesus again as he has ascended. And then uh, these people appear, angels appear and tell them, what are you looking at? You're staring up into the sky. Now go and wait upon the Lord. So they go and wait. And on Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, the Holy Spirit comes upon these apostles and these other 108 or so that have joined them. And there's tongues of fire uh, that appear. It appear these tongues of fire come down. The Holy Spirit visually appears like that. It sounds like a storm. People gather. Peter begins to preach. And the Holy Spirit gives the apostles the uh, ability to speak in other languages so people can hear the message in their own language. And as people hear uh, it in their own language, they also hear it in another language. And for uh, one of two reasons, they think that these, these apostles must be drunk. And Peter addresses that. He's, he addresses it briefly, um, but he addresses it and he says, we're not drunk. What's happening is you're seeing the Holy Spirit here, and it's not because they're rolling on the ground or saying things that are completely incoherent to everyone. It's that there's a gift being exhibited here where people can hear the good news of Jesus in their own language when there's possibly around 15 linguistic differences among the people that have been gathered there. And then he goes on to preach this sermon that talks really about sinfulness, the fallenness of man, the need of a Savior, the crucifixion of Christ, the one that came to save. They're looking for the Messiah. We were wrong and crucified Jesus, the one who had come to save. But yet it all is part of God's foreordained or prearranged plan that he do this because he gave himself upon the cross for us. And as they're sitting in the reality of their sinfulness and need of that Savior, they say, what now? How does this apply into my life? How am I forgiven? Because that Jesus isn't dead, and they know that, right? They've just been told that that Jesus isn't still in the grave. You're like, wow, got away with that one. No, now he reigns at the right hand of the Father. So how does this, how are we forgiven of our sins? And they ask a good question. They say, what do we do now? And in the beginning of uh, our section this morning. We're going to go back a bit and I'm just going to read to you out loud Acts chapter 2 verse 38 through 41. This is the response to the people like us who've had to ask that question. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. What do I do now? This is what Peter says. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to you, your children, to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued to preach for a long time, as most preachers do, strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation, a message that can continue to be preached till the day we die. Those who believed... What Peter had said were baptized and added to the church that day. And so what comes up then is we look, it says, what, what should we do? And he says, repent of your sins and turn to God. And then down at the bottom it says, uh, those who believed what Peter said were saved. And so we want to look at 
What is repentance? What is belief? What is believing and what is faith? What do those things look like? And before we do that, one of the things I was convicted of as we look at belief, faith, and repentance is that I want to make sure we don't begin to, what Matt Chandler has often said, become navel gazers, where we just stand there looking at ourselves. What's most important to me? How do I do this? I need to do this, and I can save myself. So look at the foundation of, what, of how we are saved. So we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 1 for that. I was going to pick a more precise section, but because um, I, uh, we're so close to it, I just want to start from the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to read through the majority of that and then also get into Ephesians chapter 2 a little bit. But let's start here together, Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 14. I, nope, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Pause. This is written to believers, the saints, truly redeemed people in Ephesus. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to Oh, might be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, when you hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. You will notice that all emphasis is mine. The point is to bring out all of the times that talk about in Him, in Christ, to Himself, for His purpose, in Him. Because there are many things that happen, many uh, truths that are taught here that are foundational to how we're saved, the study of soteriology. 
And so what I've done is I've picked five of these things to kind of draw out um, to summarize those 13 verses here. The first thing is that this was God's plan. This wasn't God's last minute plan. This wasn't plan B. This wasn't, um, in a sense, uh, my people have rebelled. I don't know what will happen. Can I do something good to entice people back to myself? That's not what this is. This is God's plan before the foundations, all the texts that say in him, for him, to him. It's all about God having a plan in his sovereignty designed a way to redeem his people back to himself. It is accomplished by his power. That's the second thing. It's not our goodness or our creativity, but it is his power from beginning to end. Us being saved and drawn to him was by the power of God and through him and to him. It's all about the sovereignty of God. It's all about his glory. We did nothing. We have nothing to boast about in this process. It is through Jesus Christ. The method by which sins were atoned for was Jesus Christ. There's no other way to be made right with God than through Jesus Christ. And the only other way that naturally comes to our mind is I can be good enough then, or I can do it, or what is it that I need to do? Is there a certain amount of things to do, certain things to say, certain people to go talk to, that then I can be made right through something else other than Jesus, to which we say no. Because the Bible doesn't teach that. Over and over and over again, there's very few things that are as clear as this, but that it's not you and I that cause salvation. It's God's plan. It is to make us holy and blameless. That's what verse 4 says. To glorify God. To set us apart and be blameless before God. Because it shows how powerful and sovereign God is. And it was set in stone before the foundation of the earth. Which takes all of anything that we can toot our little horns about away. It was all accomplished designed, fulfilled, and powered by our sovereign God. I think that's a really good place to begin as we begin to talk about our, what I would consider our uh, personal responsibility that the Bible describes um, in faith, belief, and repentance. And I'm going to argue that none of those things are even possible, again, without the power of God, though. I'll explain how important this is. Um, I tend to get illustrations that hit me in a certain way because of what I'm doing in the moment of my life. I have five kids, four on soccer. We have two practices a week. If my math is correct, that's eight practices a week right now and four practices on Saturday. Um, So we really don't have much of a life right now because we are uh, really doing a lot of soccer stuff. And um, I coach a team with another uh, guy that goes to church here, Jesse. And I think we both thoroughly enjoy it. But there is a truth that happens every Saturday. I don't know who's going to show up. I don't know who we're going to play. I don't know how the game is going to go. I don't know who's going to get hurt. I don't know how many points are going to get scored. I don't know what refs we're going to get. Not to mention the thousands of other things. I just don't know. And I'm the coach of that team. What this passage is saying in regards to salvation is that before God created the world, he chose the refs, he chose the players, he chose who would win, 
whose shoes would come untied during the game, which ball was going to be used, how many times the ball is kicked, how many stitches are in the ball, which player would be on which team, who would win, how many times each player would touch the ball, how long the breaks would be between the halves, how many seconds we would spend chasing the ball in the parking lot because people shoot it over the goal, how many blades of grass were on the field, how many gopher holes would be present, the color of the jerseys, the thread count of the jerseys, the material that the jerseys were made from, where the jerseys were made, the name of the people that made the jerseys, and the number of hairs on the head of the people who made the jerseys. Obviously, this is not about soccer, right? Before the foundation of the world, God knew who he would save, how he would save. He also is the one who calls to each person. Before the foundation of the world, God knew every thought that you would have, every word that you would say, every hurt you would experience, every joy you would have, every goosebump moment you would experience. Every hard time, good time, bad time, every sin you would commit, and he knew then, that very second, he knew the moment he would call you to himself. And he even places within us the irresistible desire to respond to his riches and his grace. Nothing to boast about lands on the tops of our heads. It's all the sovereignty and the goodness and the power of God. Maybe you're like, I don't play soccer, Brian, so I don't get it. Just imagine the same idea with parenting. We have many parents in the room. You don't know what your kids really are going to do. That's kind of part of the fun of it and also the disaster of it. Uh, Your marriage. There are times where, I don't know if you've ever been there, guys or gals, but you're having a conversation that you're like, there's some tension here. And you, in your mind, you're like, I think I have the right thing to say. But you don't know. Right? You don't even know how the person across from that you know the best is going to respond. What that does, what this does, whether it is parenting, marriage, work, your own life, or what's going to happen when we leave this room, we don't know. We don't have the capacity to know. So what it should do is elevate the reality of who our God is in all of this, that he knows from the foundation of the earth how and when and what method he was going to save us. So what I want to do now, even with the time that we have, is reread again with what we've just talked about, about this idea of being foreknew before the foundations of the earth and being predestined beforehand. Our destiny was in God's hands and that we are adopted into his family by his power through one way that he is designed as sufficient, which is through Jesus Christ and was perfectly just and paid for. And everything pointing back to Jesus, to God, to him for his purposes and his will, by his power, by his sovereignty before we start talking about what role we play in it. Let's read this again. Let's start at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even has He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, 
with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things on heaven and things on earth. Big picture, order of salvation, Romans chapter 8, verses 29 through 30, right? We have to hit that. And if you guys are like, Brian, there's a lot of crazy words that I'm not picking up. That's because I use the NLT the majority of the time. That's what I've encouraged us to like study through. So it was handed down to me and I've continued that. For this section um, of time this morning, I have chosen to read through the ESV because I think these words are important and there's patterns to them throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. And so uh, I have thrown you all off by now and uh, we are in the ESV, not the NLT. So if you have a device, just switch over to that. But let's read uh, quickly Romans chapter 8, verses 29 through 30 um, to get a big picture of what's happening here that will draw us all back to God again. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And if we look at that um, order of salvation... What I don't see is that, and then God sat up there and pleaded like, like, uh, just, just do this so that you can be saved. Um, I've tried to be so great so that you could respond to me and that you would come to me. Instead, what we see is God taking charge in his world and redeeming people. How can we choose God if we can't choose good? Not even one of us. We rely upon God even for that respect of it. It is the sovereign will of God that this plan to conform chosen men and women to the image of Jesus rests. It is in the sovereign time of God that we are called, and it is in the sovereign gracious work of God that we are justified, and it is by the sovereign purpose of God that we are glorified. Not a lot about us there. God's power, God's sovereignty, His way, His will. The way that sinful, rebellious men and women are redeemed, brought back, saved, and adopted as sons and daughters of God is because God began a good work before he sculpted the mountains or drew the seas. He knew. Then we go on to the second portion of our text in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 through 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were first to hope in Christ, those would be maybe the Jews that were there, they were first to hope in Christ. And it might be to the praise and glory of God. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, so they heard the word of truth, which is the gospel of your salvation, and then believed in him, were sealed, which means that you're saved. That's evidence that you're saved. Sealed 
with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise and His glory. So that's where we get to that first word, believe. Right? We just sing a song. We ask Phil to play it. We sang a song before the sermon about all the things that we believe. It's called the Apostles' Creed. It's, it's based upon uh, the Apostles' Creed. So let me read that for you. These are the things in the 500s, so like 4th century. This was the standard of what was necessary to, to have intellectual knowledge of before these other things that we would consider personal responsibilities take place. This is what we, what we believe. This was the standard. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And so when we read passages, sometimes we can read them and hear, believe and be baptized, and you'll be saved. And so then we can take that and we can accidentally believe that what it takes to be saved is our work in intellectually understanding a belief system. And so we read the Apostles' Creed and we're like, I got it. I believe that. To which James in chapter 2, he says, so do the demons and they shudder. So then that creates in our mind, what do we do with this belief thing? Because in examples, John uses the word believe 98 times, 244 times in our New Testament. That word believe is used, believe and be baptized and be saved. But then James is talking about this belief that even the demons have. So I went and I researched and I studied this believe word and I was hoping for one thing and I didn't find it. But I want to be true to New Testament Greek as much as possible. I don't read it. I have study programs that do the work for me. And what I find is that uh, pistuo is believe. And um, in James chapter 2, pistuo is used. And in John... Chapter 3, same word being used. But one is said to save, and the other one said not to, and we want to remedy that because there's a danger. Upon study, that word, pistuo, was used for believe, and I'll give you a little bit of an example. One example is if I say, I believe that, or I believe in that. There's a little bit of a difference there. Similarly, there, this word could mean two things. One is that you believe and it's actually bonded to the word to have faith or trust in. I didn't even do that. Strong's did that. They defined it that way because that's what's attached to it. There's this belief that has, is pregnant with faith and trust. But then other times the same word can be used that means to be entrusted with or affirm. Like somebody has given you, a, a, you know, the Apostles' Creed, you have taken it, and you're, you're entrusted to it, you read it, and you're like, I affirm that. I think that is true. When it is used in the Bible in the sense of believe and be saved, or for all who believe will be saved, it's using the one that is pregnant with faith and trust. 
What James is bringing out is the belief that he is talking about is merely like you're just affirming something. We don't need you to affirm it to make it true. It's already true because God said it's true. You affirming it doesn't have a lot of power in it at all. The thing that changes it is context. In James chapter 2, he is talking about what is faith that saves and the faith that is dead. And what he is bringing out is when you claim to have faith, but all it is is mere belief that will not save you. What John is talking about in the 98 times he uses it, he's using it in the way that is pregnant with faith and trust. Which brings us to the word faith and trust, because we get the believe, a body of knowledge that must be believed. And when the word is used in the non-pregnant way without faith and trust, it's not including that, and typically they'll use the word faith later. On the other hand, belief is used that is pregnant with the word faith and trust. So that brings us to that faith and trust is needed in conjunction with belief, right? So we go to Ephesians chapter 2 now. And let's read this together. In the beginning, I want you to think through this. Does that sound like you now? Or can you identify in your redemption now that the first several verses are about what you were about and that God has done a transforming work in your life. Let's read this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Stop there. Did you see the transition? The transition is that we all were in the same boat at some point. Some are still in that boat, and some of us have been pulled out, called out of that boat by God, by His power, and redeemed by His power. And what that looks like is being dead in our sins. We are our own gods. We worship ourselves. We walked in that. That was our course of life in this world. We followed the prince of the power of the air because there is no middle ground or gray area. Either following Jesus Christ or you're not. Carrying out these desires of the body and the mind. Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So it's not like we turned around, right? We didn't say like, hey, I'm going to make myself alive in this life again. Or I'm going to put to death this sin by my own power. While we were still sinners... Christ came and died, and while we were still dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, meaning we didn't deserve it, you didn't do anything to earn it. And raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable, it'll be immeasurable, immeasurable riches of his grace and the kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. Verse 8, this has been on mugs, shoes, faces, listen to this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So now we see that word faith. And this is not by your own doing. You've been saved by grace through faith. It's not by your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of your works. 
so that no one may boast, because that is going to be constantly our desire to boast about ourselves and find worthiness in ourselves. And really what it highlights is we have a loving, gracious God that gave us what we don't deserve. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We got the believe and know that intellectual believing cannot save us, but we need the faith and the trusting within the believing. So what is this faith? James, James teaches us that there is such thing as dead faith. It's faith that is dead does not have any action towards it. What is it then? It's mere intellectual understanding of a concept. Faith has a sense of, like, trust, right? What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? What's the answer? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So faith has something to do with what we're doing now. We're taking the belief thing now, and it has uh, changed who we are, turned us around. We have kind of, in a sense, met with truth, and now the inner man, inner woman is being changed. Now, I believe that is done by the power of God, but that is also called repentance. The turning away from is typically uh, what we, how we describe repentance, which is true, but it's really uh, like a visual effect of what is happening. Inside what's happening is we have the belief system. We realize where we're at, which is the power of God, helping us realize that we are in sinners in need of a Savior, and then we turn away from the evil, making ourselves gods and satisfying ourselves, and turn to being obedient to the Lord and glorifying Him. And the inner man is changed. The inner woman is changed. Who we are is changed. How we, uh, how we think is changed. How we heart is changed. Well, how we value, thing, value things is changed. Hebrews 11 gives us a definition of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. You trust and have confidence in what you believe is one part of that. And then you trust and have conviction that the truth will hold fast even when it is not observable. And this faith, this trust in what we believe is dead faith without carrying out of the truth. Mere knowledge outside of ourself does not save. What we see is that there's that, that knowledge, that intellectual correctness, that truth in us, orienting ourselves toward God, which is part of repentance, and then trusting in those things, being obedient to that. Many times we can see that faith is compared to a chair. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody talk about this. I've I've heard it all over the place, and I think that I wanted to find something else, but I just went back to the chair. And if a chair could talk, imagine if a chair said this, I'm well built. I am strong enough for you. I am capable enough for you. There is one way for you to sit and be held up, and I am the chair for that purpose. And we say, I believe that. Illustratively, that's not trust. That's mere intellect, right? You've agreed. It appears that way. What has been described as faith is when you, appear, when you believe, you say, I believe that, and I'm going to choose that chair to sit in now. And the faith is when you sit on the chair. And there's plenty of other illustrations that go along with it. 
right? I mean, I'm sure youth pastors around the world have tried pulling that chair out of people. I don't know what that teaches, but there's something there where we want to do that, right? I remember we were at a picnic one time, somebody sitting in a chair, and I see that the chair is weak, okay? They're doing that thing, I don't know if you've sat in those plastic chairs, where this part bows in on you, you're like, what was that? Well, one leg's kind of kicked out funky, and so I ran up and I kicked that chair leg because I heard that it would just break off, and I did. I kicked that leg chair off, and it came crumbling down. Now imagine if I kicked that leg, that, that chair leg out, and the person was just still sitting there like this, but hovering. Well, he wasn't sitting and trusting in that chair to support its weight. I believe that repentance always accompanies somewhere in. Is it before? Is it in the middle? Is it at the end? I believe that repentance is in the solution in the sense of the mixture that is inseparable um, of this belief and this faith and repentance is happening by the power of God, working and renewing our minds and changing and tuning our hearts and responding to the call to the Lord. And I think that when we get to the question, I'm going to have to skip another like 15 minutes, but if we get to the question that we want to ask, like, like what is belief and faith and repentance? Hopefully we've hit a couple things that help flesh that out. And one of the questions I got asked when I was talking about speaking on this is, um, how do I know if my faith is real? And I don't know if this will be helpful or not. Maybe it's something to think upon or create questions to come and talk to somebody who you trust. But the question would be if... Somebody pulled, and this can never happen, right? Illustrative. If somebody pulled the chair of God out from underneath you, would you fall straight to the ground? Were you completely trusting in the chair of God with your life? Or are we doing something we do all too often where we try to pretend we're in that chair, but really we're supporting ourselves, we're relying upon ourselves? What scripture calls us into is desperate need of the Lord. Complete repliance. Take up your cross isn't a metaphor for give it your all. It's all of who we are. God is a jealous God that says, I want all of you. And the whole process by which we are saved, we give praise to God because we have nothing to boast about. And the, the things that are talked about in Scripture that appear to have some level of personal responsibility in the sense of us having a body of knowledge, which gives us a responsibility to go and share that body of knowledge to unreached peoples. They hear that. And then just not the hearing. So if you're like, I just believe there's a God. I thought I was saved. You're not. Your faith and trust has to be in the Lord. And to be a little more precise... In the word of God and the promises made in scripture, is your faith, is your trust completely leaning and supported by the word of God? If they pulled the God chair out from underneath you, would you completely collapse upon the ground because every ounce of your weight was resting upon and trusting in that chair of God? Let's pray. Father, as we take a moment and look at faith, look at belief, look at repentance, 
and see this inseparable mixture that happens. I pray we would correctly see the reality that you are the sovereign king of the universe who redeems his people and you build your church. And yet you leave this portion where you allow us to interact with the redeeming of people. In not the powerful sense that there's anybody saved by us, but that as your word says, that believing the truth, the gospel of our salvation, we get to go and share that good news. And we have bodies of beliefs. And by your power and your renewing our hearts and minds, we can then believe that and then place our faith and our trust in that and completely rely upon your promises. I pray that uh, as we wonder how this applies to the next portion of our text in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, that as we read that, hopefully this week as people take time to read that, it would be just incredible to see what your church did immediately after being redeemed by your power and filled with your spirit. We love you, and in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Cornerstone Church of Ione. We hope that you found it encouraging and challenging. Please feel free to share this podcast with friends and family, and we will see you all next week.